Father God, we, we thank you for this man. We thank you for the gift that Rob is to us as a, as a church family. We, we love what you have put in him and Alison and the way that they have f- labored faithfully over the years. And God, we welcome Rob now as someone who carries apostolic and prophetic gifting amongst us this weekend. Would you enable him to dig deeper foundations amongst us uh, by your Holy Spirit this weekend? So, Father, anoint him now with your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts to hear from your word and equip us as a people to go, just as Michelle saw in that picture, that we will be launched out afresh this weekend into the next bit of the exciting chapter that you have for us. Amen. Wow. Can't wait to hear myself speak now. We are so blessed by people like Simon who can teach us so well, aren't we? And and Steve and Paul coming on board as well. What's happening to this? Is this all right? We're just so blessed. It just reminds me of that boat word. We've had a few boat words over the years. And uh, it just reminded me that Ginny prophesied. uh, It's almost 12 years now since we came to Solihull. Almost 10 years since we started Jubilee Church. And Ginny Burgin sent us with this prophetic word, you're going to captain a damaged ship. But that ship is going to get remade. It's going to get re... What's it called? Um, Refurbished. And it's going to be one of the pride of the fleet. And you will grow to be proud of the people that you have there. I am so proud of the people that we have here. And what God is doing amongst us. So it's such a... A privilege to be here with you as a visiting speaker. <laughs> that means I have no responsibility. That's why I love doing visiting speaking. Um, but I just want to say I love this church. I love what God is doing amongst us. I love how we come together with such expectation. Talking to Angela Kemp, she was so desperate to come this weekend. She said, your church, they're so up for it. I love your church. And uh, I just love that. I love how we're learning to love his presence together. So I want to say thank you, first of all. Thank you for coming on this weekend. Thank you for giving up this time. I'm sure it's going to be worth it. Uh, And we're going to meet with God over these few days. We already have. I mean, it's hard to stop the worship, isn't it? God is just on us. Um, Now, this is the main theme of what I want to talk about today. Uh, It's this. I'm convinced that every believer should know how to do what all disciples are commanded to do. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons. That's what every believer should know how to do, to be on mission, to do what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. So Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded them. Commanded you, sorry. You know, we can have the best church meetings, and we have some phenomenal church meetings, don't we? Uh, Just some amazing church experiences. We can have the most incredible times together, but what good is it? (laughs) Or what use is it if all that we have and all that we are stays locked up on Sundays behind closed doors, and and we're ineffective on Monday? I mean, what is the point? Well, there is a point, but do you know what I mean? And, and it's just that 
um, this is what I feel this is time for Jubilee to do. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen the stake because you're going to spread out to the right and to the left and your descendants as promises for generational blessing on us. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. It's Isaiah 54. And so I believe it's time uh, that we strengthen what we have so that we can spread out and build out. It's time to dig out this apostolic foundation called mission. And uh, it's a foundation that says that the church exists not just for itself, but for the whole world. That we live to fulfill the great commission, making disciples who make disciples, even through suffering and persecution. It means taking the presence of God of Sundays, from Sundays, into the workplace on Mondays. It means affecting our neighborhoods and schools with his presence. It means seeing his kingdom come wherever we are. I mean, what would that look like? Because it's not about becoming the best church in the community, but the best church for our community. That's what I read somewhere recently. I thought that was just really pithy. I just have to say I didn't write that. That's brilliant. You know, as the people of God, we are salt and light. We are. It's not something we've got to do. It's something that we are. So we're already affecting the culture around us, not the other way around. And this thought came to me. What if we became more aware of this? And we began to affect things more deliberately. <clears throat> what if we intentionally began to do what only God's people can do? One school gate at a time. One supermarket queue at a time. One single parent family at a time. What if we really began to make a difference and change a whole community? You know, a whole industry. Imagine that. We've got Cadbury's on the doorstep. Changed a whole nation with the way that they cared for their employees. What if our schools were the best that they could be because of our encouragement and our support and our involvement? What if the streets that we lived on were the safest in the Midlands? What if, what if, can you see how my imagination goes wild when you start thinking about taking the presence of God wherever you are? This is our mission. And it helps us to see not just what the church is, which is a community of God's people, which he inhabits, but also to see what the church does. We take his presence, and our mission is to take his presence and his message wherever we go. And we do this when we do what his disciples do. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons. Every believer should know how to do those things. This is the simplicity of what it means to be a Christian. That what we have received, we also give away. So when Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent, him out, sent them out with these words, freely you've received, freely give. You know, salvation that you've received, you've, you've got to give it away. The freedom that you've experienced, you need to give it to others. The healing that you've received, give it away. Freely you have received, so freely give. And this is what it means to be church. That we teach people how to do these things, that we equip one another and give people the opportunity to practice missional activities here in the church. We get to practice on one another. 
I often said this, that church is where we get to practice what God has called us to do every day. You know, we're saved to bring salvation to others. We're freed to free other people. We're healed to bring healing to everyone. And if we don't do these things, we're not creating disciples but dependents. Consumers of the church who are not doing what Jesus told them to do. Make disciples and do what disciples do. So I want to look at this over today, just three, under three headings, pray that my voice holds up. So saved, freed, and healed. That's what we're going to look at. And that's what the missional foundation, if we were to paint a picture of it, that's what it would look like. Saved, freed, and healed. It's how it's made up. So let's just look at the first one. This is about being saved, bringing salvation to others. So I just want to ask you a question here today. Are you saved? One person. (laughs) (coughs) I was worried about this question. Are you saved? Yes. You know if you are, because as soon as I ask the question, which is where it's gone wrong a bit here, there will have been a resoundingly deep yes (laughs) in your heart. Are you saved? Yes. As Paul tells us, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen us. Because our gospel came to us, you sins, I know. That's where the resounding yes comes from. Power, the power of God invading our lives, his Holy Spirit and deep conviction. His spirit cries out from within us and witnesses to our own salvation and to our inheritance, children of God told this story many times. Sorry if you've heard it a few, but it's a really good one. That I went through a time as a teenager where I began to doubt my own salvation. I thought, maybe I wasn't saved. Maybe that commitment I made when I was just four years old, maybe that hasn't stood the test of time. So I decided to do what a teenage boy never does, and that is fast and pray until such time as I knew that I was saved, so I knew that I was born again. And I I got up early Saturday. That, again, was anathema to a teenage boy. I got up, and I said, I'm not going to eat. And I went through breakfast, and I didn't eat. And I went to coffee time. I didn't eat a biscuit. Got to lunchtime. By this time, I'm getting really hungry, and God still hasn't spoken to me. In somewhat desperation, thinking I'm going to die at any minute if I don't eat. (laughs) I'm standing in the bathroom, and I won't describe what I was doing, but as I was standing there... my heart began to cry out and I started saying, Father, Father, Father. And then he said to me, why are you calling me Father? (gasps) Because I'm your son. And I knew from that moment as a teenager, and I've never looked back from that time, I knew that I was born again. I knew that I was a child of God. Have you got that inner witness? Do you know that you're saved? Well, there are other ways to work out your salvation. That's what the Bible tells you. We've got to work it out and have absolute assurance that you're saved. So here are five of them. Number one, you have faith. Hebrews tells us that faith is something very tangible that we either have or we don't have. You know, ever had somebody say, have you ever had someone say to you, I wish I had your faith? 
And that's because it's so tangible. It's something that they want, that you've got, but they know they haven't got. And it's a substance, you see. Faith is a substance. That's what Hebrews says. Substance of things hoped for. It exists and may even be tested. And even after it's tested, do you know what happens to faith? It gets stronger. Uh, Actually, Paul even encourages us to test ourselves to see if our faith is strong. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to 6, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. That's what I'm asking you to do today. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. Test yourself. Ask yourself, am I saved? Am I saved today? Do I have faith? You'll know if you have. And you'll also know if you don't have. And of course, if we don't interrogate our faith, then life, it seems, will do it for us. (laughs) But you know, the end of our trials is always to prove our faith, according to what James says. You had any hard times? Have Have you been beaten up at all or disillusioned, perhaps anybody, you know, just wondering. Anybody had a tough time this year, you know, in this last couple of weeks, and you're still a Christian? Wow! The testing of your faith. You still have faith. You still believe. It makes it stronger, not weaker. Number two, you love God. This is how you know you're safe. You love God. I remember a conversation with Andrew. And don't you miss him? It's so quiet around here without him. <clears throat> but I remember Andrew saying, just after he was saved a few years ago, he said, do you know the most remarkable thing for me is not that God loves me. That You can either accept that or reject that. He says, but the mystery for me is how I love him. How do I know that I love him? Why, why is it possible for me to fall in love with an invisible being? That's the miracle for me. But it's there. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So even in the fact that you know that you love God is the revelation of his love for you. Because he loves me, I love him. So you love God. And the third one is that you also love other people. You know, I used to visit an elderly man called Don. He was a bit of a hero of mine. He was a test driver for Aston Martin. <laughs> Whoa, he was such a cool dude. And, uh, you know, when cars really used to be cars, without all that electronic stuff. And uh, I used to love to go and hear his stories about the crashes that he survived. But he used to like to say to me, he said, you know, I like people in the church. Um, he says, I love people in the church. I, I love them, you know, with the love of the Lord. I just don't always like them. <laughs> and if you know what I mean, he said, not quite Don, but funnily enough, I did know what he meant. And this follows directly on from knowing your growing love for God, which is that you grow in your love towards one another. You love what he loves, you see. That's the deal. You love the church. So 1 John 4, 19 to 21 says, we love because he first loved us. But then he goes on to say, whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. I mean, he doesn't pull his punches, does he? You're a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister sister whom they've seen, you can't love God who you haven't seen. And he was, and he's, 
given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. You love God. You've got to love one another. That's how all men will know that you're his disciples. You've got to love one another. So do you love God's people? Do you love the church? And are you growing in this love? Saved people love God and his people. Fourthly, you want to please God. This is another indication that you're saved. Because formerly you wanted to please yourself or your own carnal lusts and desires, which is a clear indication that you're not saved. <laughs> you know, if you want to know what pleases him and you're increasingly uncomfortable with sinful behavior uh, that you know displeases him, it's an indication that you are saved. 1 John 2 says this, We know that we have come to him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands, is a liar. There you go. John again, the loving apostle, is telling you that you are a liar if you don't do what he says. But, and the truth isn't in them. And if you don't despair of your sin, if you don't agonize over the state of your own heart, If you don't long for change, you're probably not yet saved. Inbuilt into the heart of every newborn Christian is a longing to please him and walk more closely with him. And the fifth one is this, you're becoming more like Jesus. In the end, the evidence that you're saved is not that you pray or read the Bible or go to church every week. As Keith Green used to like to say that going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Just like going to church doesn't make you a Christian. The most important sign of your salvation is that you're becoming more like him. Jesus tells us about a vine that his father maintains, which we're connected to, and the fruit that it produces the same as what is in him. John 15 says this, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you're a Christian in me, and I'm in you, you're going to bear fruit. A lot of fruit. And apart from you, you're not going to be able to do anything. So you're becoming more like Jesus than you were this time five years ago. Is that your aim? Is that your ambition a year ago? Be more like Jesus than you where a year ago, and you're saved. Saved people want to be like Jesus more than anything else. So are you saved? You know, perhaps as I... <laughs> this is really concerned. But you know, it may be true that as I've gone down that list, some of you have wondered, and that's okay. Now, I want to give space for that over this weekend, because you can know. You can be absolutely rock solid on this, and you can start that journey today of having an absolute assurance of salvation. A salvation, you know, you can know that for yourself. Uh, you can start that journey today. It's a free gift. All we need to do is ask which again is another sign of God's calling and choosing that you want to be saved. 
If you want to be saved, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit's already working in your heart. He's already chosen you and called you. So get it settled in your heart. This desire for salvation is not a natural desire. It's a supernatural one. It's a product of the work of his Spirit in you. So be encouraged. The gift of salvation is on offer to you. I just also felt when I was preparing that there's some people here that they've been saved and they've been walking with God, but you haven't been baptized yet. You know, that's how you seal the deal. Otherwise, it's just like being engaged for a very long time and you never get married. And if you've been in that place, you know that's not easy. Some of you need to get married to Jesus. and Make that lifelong commitment to die with him and to raise with him and live with him forever. Some of you need to get baptized. We're going to have some baptisms soon. All right, so come and let me know. Come and let me know if you want to be baptized. I've already spoken to one person. That's very exciting. Yes. So uh, we're going to see some baptized people in the next, next days. So why have I taken all this time then to talk about whether you're saved or not? Well, because I wanted to make sure. That's the first thing, which is a bit worrying. But also because what you have received, you can give it away. Your salvation story is a supernatural one that has power to bring salvation to others. Now, preaching the gospel is as much to do with your life, your testimony, and your experience as any evangelist's four-point sermon. Now, probably it's even more significant. You know, people can argue with the preacher. Uh, They can dismiss the Bible even. But they'll find it hard to argue with you and your story other than calling you a liar. Isn't it great we've got political correctness? Last weekend, Adrian did a great job, didn't he? He talked about, I thought, oh my goodness, he's stealing my whole talk for this week. But he he was telling us about the benefits of sharing our faith, so I don't need to repeat that. But why don't we? Why don't we share our faith? Why is it such a big deal to us? Uh, And uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think we all know the reasons. But hopefully this will help you. Just this list I'm going to give you now. The first thing is, some of us have not been convinced about our own salvation. That's why we haven't been able to give it away. Not been convinced enough. And that's partly why I wanted to go over this again today. The assurance that you have of your own salvation is what will strengthen your faith to share it with others. This is a done deal, and you're standing firm on it. It makes a difference. But it, it also might be due to your apparent unremarkable story. You know, I've been brought up by a Christian family. Ugh, if only I'd been a drug smuggler or something, <laughs> or killed somebody. You know, that's what I used to think when the time of Nicky Cruz was all about, you know. And and I I was tempted on one occasion to make up a testimony at a youth camp. And I did, and they all believed it. And it was brilliant. But it was wrong. Listen, if you're in that category, I just want to tell you, it's a lie from the devil to shut your mouth. The fact that you're a Christian and you've been brought up in a Christian family is an incredible blessing. And it's a miracle that you are. It's, it's still a miracle. There are still plenty exa- of examples of Christian families where one child follows Christ and the other one doesn't. When one parent follows Christ and the other one doesn't. 
Why? What made the difference for you? Why are you a Christian and your brother or your sister isn't? That's a miracle. That's something God has done in your life. Don't be robbed of the power of your story. I was brought up in a Christian family, and I'm so grateful for what I got saved from. Literally, the stuff I would have been involved in, it would have shocked you. Yeah? It's a miracle that I'm a Christian today, and a pastor's kid at that. Come on. Secondly, anybody afraid, fear of what people might think? I know. But I've also experienced the opposite. There's a girl in my college at sixth form, which is, you know, a little while ago, and she had a tragedy happen in her life. She was desperate. She was suicidal. She couldn't stop crying. She was called Andrea. The problem was I was attracted to her, so I was worried about my motives in talking to her. So that's my excuse anyway. Um, But I didn't ever share the gospel with her. Uh, And about five years later, I I bumped into her out shopping. And she said, oh, it's so wonderful to see you. I've got to tell you, the most amazing thing has happened in my life. I've become a Christian, and my life has completely changed. Let me tell you about it. I said, Andrea, that's amazing. That is so wonderful. I'm a Christian too. Isn't that amazing? And she looked at me with this look of horror, and she was so upset with me. She said, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? I was so desperate. I was so I almost killed myself. I could have been in a terrible place. If only you told me, you could have saved me from a whole lot of trauma in my life. So afraid of what people think. Now I'm afraid of what they think. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, you have to die. Take up your cross follow me. And the fear of other people must be taken to the cross. In the end we must obey God and not the fear of man. I'll just let that one sit for a bit. Uh, Next, I think the other one is that we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. Some of us. I think this is a big thing for many of us who've been Christians for a while. We've lost that feeling of absolute despair over our sin. Or that chronic loneliness of a world in which God doesn't exist. And so on and so on. We've lost it. We've lost that imminence. What happens when I die? We've lost the sense of that question. And we need God to do something for us in this. You know, over the summer I had a dreadful experience. And I think it was in preparation for what God's leading us into. But I... This experience lasted for about three weeks. um, And I battled with this feeling, what if God doesn't exist? It was completely irrational. I didn't even think that I thought that. But for some reason, I felt that. I I, I somehow got an insight in what it would be like if there wasn't a God. What would it be like if I couldn't have my sins forgiven? What would it be like if I had no hope for the future? I went through that for three weeks. I was unaware of his presence. I lost my sense of assurance. I felt despair like I've never felt before because I was brought up in a Christian home. And I always was slightly insulated from that feeling, I think. So finally, God came. It was such a relief. My peace returned and I found myself wondering again at the gifts 
for my salvation. And God spoke to me about this. And he says, have you forgotten what it's like to be lost? Lord, I was only four. Come on. (laughs) Have you forgotten what it's like to be lost? This has fueled a sense of urgency in me, again, to be sharing my faith and for us to be sharing our faith. Ask him to remind you. And just do that right now. Just say, Lord, will you remind me? Just remind me. What is it like to be lost? Just remind me, Lord, of that despair and the urgency of salvation. Remind me. Lord, of the benefits of my salvation. Because, Lord, some of us have lost what it's like to be lost. And finally, I think the reason is that we've lost the joy of our salvation. You know, we find it easiest to talk about things that we're really excited about. Have you noticed that? the easiest thing to talk about, something that we're excited about. So when we get disillusioned with the church, (laughs) when we get disappointed with God, when we are jaded in life, we lose that sense of excitement, that joy of our salvation. I want to ask you to deal with your disappointment (laughs) and your disillusionment. I want to invite you to come back to God. If you've drifted away, come back. And it's not just for yourself, but the many others who are watching you, who are watching your life, people that you have influence over, maybe even your children, maybe your friends at school or college or in your workplace, they are watching you. And whether you know it or not, you are affecting and influencing them with your walk with God. Come back to him. This is so important. David cried out to God when he, he sinned and, and he was far away from God. Psalm 51, John Marshall shared about that with us, didn't he, a little while ago. And, and he prayed a prayer in that psalm, which I've prayed many times over the years. Create in me a pure heart, Lord. and Renew a steadfast... Is it, it's not up there. I'd love us to read this together. Should we do it? Let's just pray. I'll do it, and then you can... Psalm 51, if you've got it. You got it? Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Renew the joy. Renew the joy, Lord. Come again, Lord. Renew the joy of our salvation. You know, we've been saved at great expense. The blood of Jesus was not spilt for nothing, but for everyone. What you have freely received, freely give. As Alison likes to say, let's get God out of the bedroom. 
and build a missional foundation of the church together because the whole world depends on it. Guys, I can't do this for you. We have to do this together. Amen. Wonderful. Holy Spirit, will you just come on us right now? Just renew the joy of our salvation. Come to know the desperation of that place. And Father, I pray for anyone who doesn't know that they're saved today, that they will know that they're saved by the end of the day. Father, we want to ask you to invade this place and to put this missional foundation in the church for the sake of the whole world, Jesus. Amen. Amen.